day 66. Today I'm looking at a photograph. The tousled hair, scraggly beard and wrinkles could be an indication of lockdown stress, with barbers being closed for months. But this is an old picture. It's of someone in New Zealand history that you may well never have heard of. The picture is of Samuel Duncan Parnell. Today is Labour Day in Canada. The first recorded adoption of an eight-hour working day originated with Samuel Parnell, who was a carpenter in Wellington, New Zealand, in 1840. In the first part of the 19th century, carpenters typically worked 12 to 14 hours a day. Wages were low and conditions were poor. In the 1830s, Parnell was working in London, England. A new trade union started to mobilise for better wages and conditions. But because they refused to advocate for shorter working hours, Parnell refused to join. In 1839, he married and emigrated to New Zealand, arriving at Petone Beach in February 1840. He was approached by a man called George Hunter to build a store for him. He agreed on the condition that he would only work eight hours a day. Parnell argued that there were 24 hours per day given to us. Eight of these should be for work, eight for sleep, and the remaining eight for recreation, and in which for men to do what little things they want for themselves. I'm ready to start tomorrow morning at eight o'clock, but it must be on these terms or none at all. Hunter replied, that in London, work started at six and workers were penalised for arriving late. Parnell famously replied, We're not in London now. The shortage of skilled trades forced Hunter to agree. Other employers continued to insist on longer hours, but Parnell met all incoming ships and the pattern of the eight-hour working day became established in the settlement, with a motion passed at a workers' meeting in October 1840, that anyone working more than eight hours would be thrown in the harbour. In 1890, Parnell was the guest of honour at the first annual Labour Day demonstration on the 28th of October, having lived to see the fruits of his stand 50 years previously. He died a few months later, and is still remembered as the father of the eight-hour working day. Others around the world were responsible for movements uniting workers in common cause for fairer wages, better conditions of employment, preventing discrimination and establishing safer environments. I firmly believe that the way a nation, company or organisation treat the lowest level of worker says much more about their vision and values than the way they treat the higher echelons. In any HR decision in leadership, I've always considered how change will help those who are worse off than me. I'm saddened by the social, economic and racial inequalities that continue to grow in each of my home nations. Today, I'm thankful for all who stand for justice and work for positive change. I'm grateful for the reminder on Labour Day of the value of work, the importance of vocation and the need for rest and recreation. I'm grateful for the reminder from Parnell that individuals of character, courage and conviction 
can make an enduring difference. This call to make a difference by being different is clear throughout the Bible. The people of God are consistently called to welcome the stranger, assist the weak, care for the orphans and widows and look out for the poor. This is not always a convenient or a comfortable truth. Micah 6 verse 8 is well known, adorning many a wall and t-shirt. It speaks of acting justly, loving mercy and walking humbly with God. As the message translates it, but he's already made it plain how to live and what to do. What God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbour. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. This justice and mercy that the Lord is looking for is not for us, it is for others. Some of my heroes are business people who have gone out of their way to improve the lives of their workers. At the start of the 19th century, Robert Owen managed a cotton mill at New Lanark in Scotland that had been started by his father-in-law, David Dale. Dale adopted an unusually philanthropic approach to business in the Industrial Revolution, and Owen developed this further with a series of social reforms. He built housing for staff and their families. He did not employ young children, which was the norm. He sought to grow a community that was hygienic, healthy and happy, and believed this would enable a profitable business to thrive. Many of his contemporaries thought his vision was unrealistic, and that you could have one but not the other, and they would prefer attention paid to profit over people. Owen did not consider the two outcomes to be mutually exclusive, but rather interconnected. Joseph Rowntree was in the confectionery business in York, and as a successful businessman, desired to improve the lives of his employees. He set up a number of foundations at the start of the 20th century to provide housing, education and health care. He provided, among other things, a doctor, a dentist, a library, a school and a pension fund. He also advocated for change in social policy that would spread these ideas. His son, Seabom Rowntree, became a friend of Lloyd George and was instrumental in influencing government policy. At the company, he introduced new reforms, including the eight-hour working day in 1896 and later a five-day working week and a profit-sharing plan. He was also recognised for innovation in management, marketing and processing. In 1988, when the company was acquired by Nestle, it was the fourth biggest confectionery company in the world, and the foundations continue to this day. George Cadbury was in a similar business, and with his brother acquired land at Bourneville in the English Midlands to build a factory and model village. They had many ideas in common with Roundtree, and had a particular concern for the health and fitness of their workers. They built sports pitches, a running track and a pool, as well as encouraging walking, running and swimming. They also had regular festivals, including music and art, 
and provided education, health care and benefits and fair wages. None of these people or companies were of course perfect. There are no perfect people or ideal places to work. But they were trailblazers in progressing conditions for workers. They gave up entitlement to take on responsibility. They did more than the accepted normal. They also the results of a thriving workforce in growing prosperity for the company and opportunity in the community. There are many companies and organisations today that understand this well and model it brilliantly. It's a common misconception in others that dedication will increase commitment and greater time will result in higher productivity. In fact, if we value outcomes more than outputs, we will understand that high commitment, long hours and limited focus will more likely be a route to fatigue, frustration, conflicted families, divided teams and burnout. One of the things we have started doing in the last year or so in InterVarsity in Canada is partnering with the Best Christian Workplace Institute. It has been tremendously helpful to have an external perspective as we seek to grow a thriving culture. We are working to become more equitable in vacation entitlement, pay and working conditions. We want leaders to model a healthy work-life balance who will see that their calling is more than their career, who will develop gifts and outside interests. In the rhythm of the week and month and year, we will have time for church, rest and recreation, for families and friends. We will have time because we will make time for these priorities. I am thankful the same Lord who created us in his image to do work, ordained a Sabbath rest, built holy days as holidays into the life of the community and established the idea of Jubilee. We always have a choice to live God's way or follow our own ideas. I like the message translation of Proverbs 28. Walk straight, live well and be saved. A devious life is a doomed life. Work your garden, you'll end up with plenty of food. Play and party, you'll end up with an empty plate. Committed and persistent work pays off. Get-rich-quick schemes are rip-offs. Playing favourites is always a bad thing. You can do great harm in seemingly harmless ways. A miser in a hurry to get rich doesn't know that he'll end up broke. All this is actually less about balance and more about tension. Created purposes held in creative tension. And if you're getting a little tense with that tension, have a rest and unwind a little.